Welcome to Special Needs Navigators ABCs of Disability Planning podcast. Thank you for tuning in. I'm glad you're here. My name is Eric Jorgensen. I created this podcast to help parents navigate the maze of benefits, resources, and services. I'm on this journey with you. My son is on the spectrum. I was widowed in 2012, and I beat cancer in 2020. I get that life throws us curveballs. Every week, my guests and I do a deep dive into things our families may come across. I don't spend too much time focusing on a specific disability. My intent is to help as many families as possible. You may already be familiar with some of these topics, others not so much. My goal is to increase awareness of and provide context around what's available, when to use it, and, if applicable, how to apply it. Let's dive in. Welcome, everyone. For those of you that do not know me, my name is Eric Jorgensen. I am the founder of Special Needs Navigator. I started Special Needs Navigator to help caregivers, individuals, and families navigate the maze of benefits, resources, and services when they have a disability. Today, I'm talking about a resource that many of you may have never heard of, Daily Money Managers. A misunderstanding that I had when I was active duty military, maybe others of you have as well, is that daily money managers are only for the wealthy. And I want to dispel that myth. And today to do that, I have Vera Karlancic with me. I'm going to give a brief overview of her professional background, and I'm going to let her talk more about her personal background. She is the founder of Mindful Money Management. We're going to do the introduction to Vera. We're going to talk about what a money manager does, how they can help you. Then we're going to segue into when do you need to hire a daily manager? And even if you don't need to, when might it be beneficial to take one more thing off of your plate and free up some bandwidth? And then when you are looking to hire that daily money manager, what types of things should you be looking for? Vera is going to give us some tools and a website you can go to do a search to see if there's a daily money manager in your area. So the first thing I want to do is give you a little more background about Vera. As I mentioned, she is a certified daily money manager. She received her certification from the American Association of Daily Money Managers. She also has a master's from Harvard. So she's very, very well educated. And as a daily money manager, she combines her extensive background in analyzing expenditures and healthcare expenses and coverage with what she learns from her clients to examine their expenditures and create a thoughtful plan to assist them. So in English, Vera is really good at taking the complicated and making it simple and understanding that as a parent, you may have a lot on your plate and you may not know what you should be telling her. So she is really good at sussing it out as she talks to you. Vera, welcome. Would you mind giving us a little bit more background about you and about what being a daily money manager is and anything else you want to share? Thank you. I was thinking about the different things that I've done that prepared me to do what I'm doing now. And I worked in various settings on issues of access to care and in insurance and quality of care. And when I was with American Association on Health and Disability, I was at a conference and the keynote speaker challenged the audience to quick make a list of all those things that are key to your identity. So he said, you know, a woman, an American, go, oh, what is it? What are those things? I had never thought about that. And then after people had his list, he said, where's being a person with a disability on your list? And because most people in health policy 
have a disability, health policy relating to disabilities. And he said, for me, it's always been in the top three. He said, the most important parts of myself and how I define myself change in different periods of my life. But having the disability is always in the top three because it affects the rest of my life. It affects how I became who I am. And I, that's really, really stuck with me. And I've thought often about, okay, who am I now? And as we've talked about, if you're the parent of somebody with a disability, it means a whole bunch of things. And it may well be on someone's top three, because as I have, you have had to do that advocacy work. In fact, at that conference, I still remember it was a number of years ago, having to excuse myself, go into the lobby and call into my son's IEP meeting. And of course, everyone at the conference understood, you know, that's one thing about having <laughs> colleagues in disability. They understand when you have to be the support for your person with a disability. So I realized that was very important to me, that advocacy and support aspect. And I had the numbers and analytical sense. So I left the policy world and started working with people, individuals. That's a good segue into, you know, how a daily money manager can help people and individuals, be it parents or maybe an individual, a self-advocate, right? Because you don't necessarily have to work with a parent. You know, they're with supported decision-making or individuals who might have some executive functioning challenges. Doesn't mean they can't live independently, but that's where working with a daily money manager can really help, right? Yes. There are different points in people's lives where they may need this kind of help. And the things, money managers, it's almost always a second career. People bring some experience in some life experience, often involving some advocacy and support for someone to being a money manager, a daily money manager. And what we all tend to do is be involved in bill paying, make sure bills get paid on time, make sure bills that are wrong don't get paid, helping people with budgeting and submitting medical claims and then watching to make sure things get reimbursed, appealing up an insurance decision if needed, organizing financial records, getting ready for income tax time so that you can just very easily hand off all the information very organized to a tax preparer. And another aspect is keeping people safe from fraud and scams and people who want to exert undue influence to make my clients part with their money. So daily money managers are involved in those activities. And then when life transitions come along, sometimes we're helpful and involved in getting through all the paperwork and all the decision making involved in those. Can you give me an example, Vera, what a transition would be like? I mean, are you talking marriage? Are you talking death? Are you talking something a little less dramatic? It might be time that someone is going to move out of their parents' home and the parents aren't sure how to think about it. The teenager or the young adult just wants to go. They've just had enough of being in their, in their parents' house. And there's the social-emotional 
aspect of it, which is not my part. And then there's the, well, how's this going to work? What are the nuts and bolts? So I might start out by reaching out to you and saying, Eric, do you know what resources are available in this, you know, geographic area where my client is? Either resources involving supervised housing or subsidized housing or job training programs, anything for this phase of the person's life. And then given that, what the waiting lists are like, what has to be in place to make a move? How much money do you need? Are you going to live alone? Are you going to have roommates? And all the little pieces, like, do you already know how to work a checking account and say a prepaid debit card or a credit card? All the things that have to do with taking over all the aspects of one's life, if that's what's going on, involved in moving out. Or they may already have all those things set, but they've never moved. The parents are working. And how do we go about moving? How do we look for a place? And I may connect them with real estate agents. It may not be a situation where they need to know about special programs. And I'll help them interview real estate agents and who, you know, help with renting apartments, for example, and then help them through that process and help with the paperwork. And then, oh, yeah, well, okay, there's going to be a move involved. And what about the actual move? And what about actual furniture? To think about all the things that are involved. So that's one, well, that's actually kind of a giant transition. Um, moving at any age is, is a pretty big one. And that's one of the places where we help. But the other things you mentioned are also places where we help. When there's a divorce and you need to figure out what your budget is, it's part of, in Maryland, it's part of the divorce process. And then you need to know how to make the similar decisions to someone moving out on their own for the first time. What can you afford? How are you going to make it work? And it's the same when a spouse dies. And then often I'm helping the survivors after their sibling or their parent has passed and the estate needs to be settled. And under the supervision of an attorney who says, this is what has to get done, I'll make sure it gets done. I'll make sure all the information is available. If it's a client I've been working with, the information is already organized. Those are types of transitions, but some of it is just much simpler and it's getting together to go through the meal every couple of weeks, depending on the person, every month and addressing each piece of meal. This is junk and you don't need to look at it. This is a request for a donation and we don't know who these folks are. So we're not going to do that. And then talking about that. Oh, do you know who these folks are? (laughs) So, oh, this is the agency that helps you. So you really want to give them a donation, whatever whatever it is. And then some of them are bills and just making sure nothing gets forgotten or left out. So there's a couple of things in what you just said that I want to highlight as a parent whose child has disabilities, where I think you could help other families. So on a lesser degree, to your point about transitions, when your child's turning 18 and you're thinking about applying for SSI, it really sounds like you can help a family organize all of the records that, that Social Security is going to ask for when you submit the application. Because you know it often can be overwhelming. You might have boxes and boxes of IEPs and medical records and what have you. And some of it might be duplicates because maybe you got the draft IEP and any actual IEP, but you didn't throw either of them out. So now you have duplicates and it can be overwhelming when you're looking at all of that paperwork. So very often I come across people that are like, well, I know I have to do it. It's just too overwhelming. So I've put it off. 
right? So I can see that being a great place for you to help. Thank you. That's a good point. And then often there's calls involved. You have to reach, Mm -hmm. you need something from the doctor and you have to find the right person and oh, their office moved. It just takes some doggedness to get through it and gather. And if you're you're a single parent or if you're you're, you're in a two-parent household, but both parents are working and, and, and. And, and, and. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's really difficult. And then the other place I see you, and this could be for seniors or for young adults, Individuals who are dual eligible for Medicaid and Medicare or seniors who are on Medicare. Well, and this is fresh in mind because October 16th is right around the corner and that's open enrollment for Medicare, October to you know, December. People need to protect themselves by looking at their Part D, making sure if they're enrolling in a Advantage plan or like I am, I have federal health insurance and I have federal dental and vision insurance. Well, I need to make sure I go in and do I want to keep those same plans this year? What has changed? And again, when you're talking about maybe your average retiree isn't that busy in air quotes, but when you're talking about a parent who might be in their 60s, 70s with an adult child, possibly in their 30s or 40s who is on Medicare, and now you have to select the Medicare Part D, not just for you, but also for your child and in your dental and vision, that's a lot for anybody, much less when you think about having a child with a disability. So I could see that being another opportunity for families to reach out and say, hey, Vera, I know you're not a Medicare expert, but I really just need somebody to maybe hold my hand while I get on the phone with a company like Boomer Benefits or somebody that is a Medicare expert and take notes with me because I'm so overwhelmed. I can't keep track of it all. Or yeah, And there's also, especially in Medicare and also for people getting their benefits through the federal government, there's so many choices. And I say, of course, because to me, it's of course, but there's a way to think about it. There's a way to think about what do you need to get out of your insurance? What parts are going to be important to you that are really specific to you? Some people need a small deductible because their cash flow. And some people can handle a huge deductible and a huge co-payment because cash flow is not their issue. And if they get hit with a big medical bill, they can handle it. And what kind of care do you think you might need the most? And is it going to be outpatient care? Or is this somebody who kind of is in and out of the hospital a few times a year? Because the plans differ on how they cover these things. So yeah, you are giving a great example. It's things I come across all the time, Vera. And, and you know, I, I want to make it clear that you're not the Medicare expert, but you are the right. person to make sure the family or the individual talks to a Medicare expert because I'm guilty of this yeah. too. I'm too busy. I will get to it. And then by the time I finally get around to getting to it, I've missed open enrollment. So now I'm stuck with whatever I I had before, okay, I'll just make it work. You know, and it doesn't have to be that way. You know, having somebody as an accountability partner, it can be pretty powerful. I personally think we all need accountability partners, right? Oh, yeah. On the screen here, we have filing insurance reimbursements. This is huge. I can't tell you how much money I have just ignored because I would get something and say, oh, you can file this with your insurance to get reimbursed. Yeah, it's going in the circular file. This is a little sore point for me also, because when I had young kids and everyone's kids are very different from each other, and they <laughs> I had multiple kids with special needs who needed different things. And then their issues, like the one who really needed structure and needed quiet, and then the one who had to have constant stimulation. <laughs> so she would pick on 
you know, the other one. And it was like, it was really, really hard. It was a an extremely difficult part of my life. And it was just trying to get for each kid what they needed and being a good mom at which included taking them to occupational therapy or mental health counseling or all these services, many of which were out of network. I couldn't do it. I was too overwhelmed to submit those medical provider receipts to the insurance provider at that point in my life. And I'm still thinking, man, I could use that money now, but you know, it's... I'm willing to bet you probably didn't itemize, if you're like most people, you didn't itemize medical expenses either because you didn't think you'd qualify. So you didn't even try to get it back at the end of the year with taxes either. If you had appointments in March and now you're filing in February the following year, you're better than I am if you can remember what you did in March. I can barely remember what I did the week before. (laughs) And again, as you said about looking at insurance, With a client, I can ask them a few questions and see, is there a possibility that they could be itemizing for medical care? Because some people can. And then I can help them get at those medical expenditures pretty quickly. And it's not hard, again, when you know what to look for and you know how to get specifically to those numbers. So sometimes... We have clients who are ongoing for a very long time, but sometimes we're coming in to help with something like that, you know, and we're, we're in and out of somebody's life. Right. I mean, it talks about when you have young children, you probably don't need a daily money manager ongoing when you have young children, but there might be certain periods of your life. You know, for example, maybe you move to your state and now you're trying to get everything together because you have to go to a new school or you're trying to get your child with a new pediatrician. All of that requires a lot of work. Right. And you're also changing your car registration and your voter registration and your insurance company has to know, do they cover you in that state? Do you need new insurance? But the school thing is hard. And then there are surprises because what different school systems do for your kids is so different. And I just can remember (laughs) sitting in some meetings kind of with shock and horror because I was like, but in Pennsylvania, they did this for my kid. And they're just like, no, we don't do that here. Right. And then that's where you might connect somebody with an educational advocate or an attorney if they need it. You know, what I'm hearing you say is not everything to everybody, but what you are is when they come to you, you can do your specific skill set, but you also have a very large network. And this is probably true of a lot of daily money managers because this is what they have to do, right? Also, we learn from our clients. So we may have a client who has a really good attorney who's helped them with working with the schools. And so, you know, we meet this attorney that attorney becomes a treasure to another client. We touched on adult children seeking increased independence when they move out of the house. You explained that. But it can also be as parents, let's say an individual is using an agency and they're living in a residential with an agency. Well, they still have money that they want to spend. They still have things they want to do. And it's not really the agency's job, although I think some agencies will monitor bank accounts and stuff. But you might want to hire somebody to oversee that agency, or you might want to have somebody help the individual with their ABLE account, depending on what the person's capabilities are. And the same with the self-advocates or siblings, right? I mean, this is all the intent with all of this that I'm trying to convey to families is it's another way to help your child or loved one be as independent as possible and free up more of your bandwidth. The other issue that comes up, I've had a number of clients who have had trusts. Well, a trust needs trustees. Mm-hmm. And the parents had been the trustees. And then they're no longer doing it anymore. And the next in line trustees are the client's 
siblings and it has totally changed their relationship. And they want their old relationship back because their relationship now is always talking about money. The client feels invaded. If the client feels like they have no privacy because their brother or sister is asking them what they spent their money on and is always telling them they're spending too much and the client doesn't know why. And for both parties, it's unsatisfactory because it changes their relationship. Money becomes this huge part of it where it used to have no part. So when I help a family like that, the sibling is still the trustee and they make decisions. But the small things and the day-to-day I'm doing, figuring out a budget and figuring out ways that the client can stay on the budget, I'm there to do. If the client is working and it's open season and they have insurance choices. I can help them understand them and then they can make the decision with the trustee and so on. So that's where supported decision-making can come in, even if it's not a legal status, where I'm helping the client understand that there is a decision, understanding if they would benefit or not, who would benefit. And so they have an understanding of whatever financial issue it is. And it can be something not so huge, like I want to join a gym, but can I? Or, well, now can I take private training lessons? Can I have a private trainer over Zoom because I can't go to the gym? And we can discuss the pros and cons and how it fits financially and then talk to the trustees and say, this is going to be an expense coming up. Well, and you can even go one step further than that where you don't need to involve the trustee by having the trust fund the ABLE account at the beginning of the year. And then the trustee, the sibling, can work with the financial advisor for the larger account, which is funding the trust. And I'm painting this picture to help people kind of see how it all ties together. So a financial advisor is managing the money in the trust or a trust company is managing the money in the trust. The sibling is a trustee. So the sibling takes money out of the trust for large purchases. Right now in 2020, you can take $15,000 out of the trust to fund an ABLE account. Well, all the expenses you're talking about, Vera, are very small expenses in the grand scheme of things. So the trustee at the beginning of the year, the sibling would take $15,000 from the special needs trust, transfer the money into the the ABLE account, fund the ABLE account. And now the person with this disability is the owner of the ABLE account. So that they are responsible for the money that's in the ABLE account, not the trustee, unless the sibling is legal guardian. But let's just say the beneficiary who owns is the owner of the ABLE account. They hire you. And this is where the trust may pay you or the ABLE account may pay you because daily money management could be a qualified disability expense because it's helping them live independently. So they hire you to come in maybe on a monthly basis, you know, one or two days a month or something or or whatever your project type of format is. They hire you to come in. You come in, you help the beneficiary figure out that month's budget. The money comes out of the ABLE account. The sibling doesn't care what comes out of the ABLE account because it's the individuals. <laughs> Think about it like when you're a married couple, right? You know, a lot of spouses will have different buckets of cash where go do what you want out of that cash. I don't care. We have our joint account, which is for big purchases for the house. And then you have each spouse has their own little bucket that they go and, and spend whatever they want. So if you go out and you buy, I don't know, like a a fishing rod or something, or you go out and you buy a necklace or, you know, a new Instapot, who cares, right? It could be the same idea for a trustee and a beneficiary when they have that ABLE account. And I'm just trying to paint a bigger picture. And I'll do another webinar where I talk through this with slides to create more of a visual. Okay, good. I look forward to that. Am I right? That's what you were saying? Yes, it is. And you're also right that I did not 
I mean, in this specific case where because of COVID-19, there was a change from going to an exercise class to, well, can I work with somebody privately? We did not involve the trustee. But I was able to say, because I knew their monthly expenses, I was able to say, yes, you can afford it, even though it was going to be, you can afford it, which everybody's disability is different. And some people really aren't able to distinguish between a small purchase and a large purchase. So I have some clients who they just know they don't want to overspend. And so if they're buying anything unusual, they'll just give me a quick call and they'll say, can I buy this sweater? And they'll say, can I buy this new iPad. Now, those are, you know, they're a different level of spending in a given month, but to them, it's kind of the same. They're not their routine expenses. So they don't have a framework for telling it. Rather than giving them a framework, sometimes it's just easier to say, just call me. Most money managers will do that. We're kind of available a lot. It's not only when we have an appointment, but for quick questions, we're available. When you're thinking about hiring a daily money manager, what do you want people who are considering hiring a daily money manager, what do you want them to be looking for? You might want to know what kind of experience they've had and whether they, in their practice, whether they are doing their work for the client instead of the client. Are they doing all the bill pay? Are they doing all the submission of things? Are they doing the registrations for health insurance, except for the signature, you know, which would go to the decision maker? Or do they have experience working with a client, having the client participating to the level that the client wants to participate? What's their model? What have their clients been like? I think being a member of the American Association of Daily Money Managers is very important. It's a professional association that provides a lot of education on the financial and legal issues and the ethical issues that we run into. And to be a member, you have to have a background check. And there is a certification that American Association of Daily Money Managers offers to be certified. You have to have a certain amount of hours of work which tends to be something between two and four years of experience. And then there's a lengthy exam to sit through that covers kind of all these aspects that we've talked about. So there is that differential. Some people are certified, some people are not. And then you might want to ask for references depending on where the referral came from. So if you're getting the name of a daily money manager from an attorney who's had other clients who've worked with that daily money manager, you know, you might be fine with that. But you might find a daily money manager in the American Association of Daily Money Managers website, which has a directory. And if you're picking someone from the website, you might want to ask for references. Many of us myself included, we can work with families remotely. And depending on your situation, that that may or may not work. So you might need somebody who can come pick up the papers. I mean, during COVID, we're not doing so much work in someone's home. But in the example you gave, where they have boxes of history on this child and they need to be gone through, I might pick them up and I and take them and go through them with a phone, you know, and say, this is what I'm finding. And is there something that you think is also in here that I, whatever, whatever it is, those are the possibilities. Many of the parents that are watching this might be home, may not be working because right now they're full-time caregivers, but as their children get older, do you think this would be a good career path if somebody, or how would somebody know if this could be a good career path for them? I mean, you did say early on in the interview, a lot of the people, this is their second career. So if your right. child is you know, moved into a residential or is being taken care of it by an agency and you have the extra time, what 
types of people do you think would enjoy doing this kind of work? There's a big criteria because you can't teach caring. It has to be a caring person. And I think I like in the people that I choose to have work with me, they've all advocated for somebody in their life. And sometimes it's a child and sometimes it's a parent, but they have had to have been an advocate for someone to understand those struggles and the how complex that can be. And the other aspects are general problem-solving skills and attention to detail because we do a lot of very nitty-gritty work and facility with computers and software and spreadsheets. You need it to be able to be efficient. Those are the big things because as you could hear, we deal with a lot of everyday issues that touch on people's lives and that if you've been living, you've had some experience with them. Right. And is there anything that I should have asked you that I didn't or anything that you want to make sure we get captured or the one takeaway, if nobody takes anything else away, what you would like them to take away? Yes, that when you have a loved one with some independence, with some control of their money, it's important that someone be coaching them on avoiding scams and people with ill intent constantly. and that someone be checking their accounts to make sure somebody hasn't gotten in there. I mean, sadly, I've gotten a number of clients after there's been a problem, a big problem. Then there isn't another problem. So that's great. With everything being digital now, Vera, it's easy to see how things can go undetected until it gets too late. You know, because most of us are very busy. We have our daily routine and that daily routine doesn't usually involve going to all of your websites to make sure there's no fraudulent charges, right? Back in the day, we would get a paper statement. Some of the younger people out there may not even imagine this, but you would get a paper right. statement and you would review it and see if there was anything, wait, wh where did that come from? You know, and, and nowadays you don't even think about it, right? So this is how to get a hold of you. We have your email, your website, and your phone number. I'm going to include all of these in the description for this video. You did mention you work with a couple other people, correct? But all of them are accessible from the website. One thing I want to add to what you were saying when you were saying when you're interviewing the daily money manager, asking about their experience, asking what type of work, whether they work for the client or with a client. I also want to, and I say this with pretty much anybody that you're going to work with, make sure there's chemistry. And I don't mean like boyfriend, girlfriend, or boyfriend, boyfriend, or girlfriend, girlfriend chemistry. I mean, you really have to feel like this individual you're working with gets you. And you can trust them and you can be open with them. I think that's across the board from an attorney to a banker to a daily money manager to me as, as a special needs navigator. You have to trust and feel that whoever you are sitting across the table from gets you and understands you. It's a very good point. And it is definitely applicable here because people's money is very personal. And it's a very intimate conversation if you're talking to somebody about how they're spending their money. and. I know a lot of daily money managers, and sometimes we are referring clients to each other for the reason you're describing, that we can see that we're just not, it's not clicking, and they're never going to be fully comfortable with us. This has been awesome, Vera. Thank you for making the time. I appreciate you coming out. I'm Thank sure we'll, you, have, we'll have additional conversations. Thank you, Eric. I always learn something every time I talk to you. Thank you very much. You're welcome.
Thank you for listening to the ABCs of Disability Planning Podcast. We invite your feedback and comments. Please feel free to leave a review wherever you are listening, and don't forget to hit like, follow, and subscribe so you don't miss an episode. For more information, please visit us at www.specialneedsnavigator.us.